you know, if you have any questions about how, how we do things, the way we do things, um, that would be a great time to come. We've, we've had some interest in uh, new members, so that's, that's always great, and we encourage that. And then the following Sunday, so immediately after the service, next Sunday, the 10th, we'll have a, just a meeting, kind of a question and answer session. And then the following Sunday, the 17th, will actually be a new, new member Sunday, so we'll be welcoming new members into the congregation. And then we're going to do a fellowship meal afterwards, immediately after the service, uh, potluck dinner. So, you know, bring, bring a meal for your family and then either a dessert to share or a side dish to share with everybody. Now, I'm seeing in the bulletin that it says the potluck will be at New Hope. I was not aware of that. So um, hopefully there'll be more information next week on that. Usually we will do potlucks downstairs here. Um, so if it's at New Hope, it's at New Hope. But uh, we'll stay tuned for next week and we'll make sure and we have that, that clarified. Um, and then there are some things coming up here later this month. Uh, it's hard to believe we're in, in October already. But the Emmerichs are going to host a fire uh, on the 23rd. Um, ladies are having a tea on November 12th. So that's, you know, a month and a half away. And then there's something also in the bulletin about... Uh, something going on at Vibrant Church, but I'm not sure what, what that's relating to, and there's no date or any details on that. So, Okay, thanks, Judah. Yep, sorry, I saw that, and I thought, hmm, I'm not sure what that is, so I'll just bring attention to it, and hopefully someone will have, have a word. So, so with that, I'm uh, honored to, to get to introduce Randy Hoffman. Randy's going to be sharing here today. Um, looks like Oh, do we have a video? If we have a video, then absolutely. I apologize. I didn't get the, uh, the uh, outline of <laughs> what I was supposed to share. <laughs> Peace and quiet. Peace and quiet. Now let's pack those Operation Christmas Child shoe boxes. If you're like me, it can be difficult to know where to start. To make things easier, just start with a box. Any average size cardboard or plastic box will work, but I find a shoe box works best. After that, you'll need to decide what age group you're going to pack for, and if it's for a boy or a girl. Now let's fill that shoe box. It's best to start by selecting a wild item, something like a soccer ball and a pump, or a stuffed animal, something that's really special. Yes and yes. Once you've got your wow item, you can start to fill it with other fun stuff, like toys, clothes, sandals, or even school supplies. <laughs> what do you mean, however? However, there are some items you don't want to include, things like gum, toothpaste, items related to war, liquids. But for a complete list, check out the website. Oh boy, I think they're gonna like this. While a shoebox might seem small and simple, it can mean the world to a child who may have never received a gift. 
It shows God's love in a tangible way to children in need, and together with the local church worldwide, shares the good news of Jesus Christ. This is why you will also want to personalize your shoebox. Even including a letter or a photo of your family or yourself can make it extra special to the child. The most powerful thing you can do is pray. Pray that your gift will make an impact. That both the child and the community will discover the love and name of Jesus. When your box is finished, you can make your $9 donation online or by mailing in your contribution using the business reply envelope in the brochure. This donation is critical for training and equipping local churches to share the gospel, along with the collection, processing, and shipping of the shoebox gifts. And don't forget to activate a label so you can follow your box and discover its final destination. Finally, make sure to check the website for the closest drop-off location near you. And make sure to mark the date for the third week in November as National Collection Week. Well, there you go. You just packed yourself a shoebox. <laughs> Grandma. Already done. What? How? I thought she wasn't going to stores right now. She isn't. She packed her box online. That's right, Dad. With just a few clicks of a mouse, Grandma packed her whole shoebox online. She can choose from all kinds of gifts, even make it personal by adding a letter and a photo. Wow. So she doesn't even need to leave the house? Nope. She can stay safe inside and still have time for Doomcraft. Docking complete. Thing I want to touch on. Um, I, I will say, uh, you know, programs like this, um, programs like um, where you support, support a child overseas, we, we used to do that, and then um, the, the, the girl we supported actually graduated um, high school. But she was in Kenya, and we were blessed enough to have neighbors from Kenya when we lived in Carlisle. They were there for, you know, 10 months with the War College. And um, the wife shared with, with my wife how amazing um, these types of programs really are and how, how meaningful they are and um, how many people get touched um, you know, when, when, you, when you give and you support children like this. So it is really a great program, um, weird videos aside. So <laughs> All right, well, with that, I'm going to welcome Randy here. We're blessed to have Randy sharing with us today. I'm concerned that there's not a whiteboard up here. I was expecting, uh, you know, the, de the decay of uranium or you know, something, but um, with that, we're blessed to have you.
the one on the floor. Well, this one, um, you guys open up that hold something, but can you say there was another one of these? Hello, testing one, two, three. Does that one work? That one's not working. This one working? That one's working. Okay. I'm slightly tethered here, but that'll be okay. We'll work around. <laughs> okay. All right. Good morning, Church of the Living God. I've been asked to share my heart with you this morning. We have just completed a series with Pastor Stephen titled Encounters with Jesus. From a woman at a well to some men on a road to Emmaus, the Bible records numerous face-to-face -face encounters with the God-man Jesus Christ. The question today is what, if any, has been your encounter with Jesus? Uh, if you're taking notes, Roman numeral one, faith and light. Brothers and sisters, we're all on a journey. We all have a timeline. It has a beginning, an ending, and a very important point or zone between the two. Judah, are you up there? <laughs> Can barely go through. Okay. Here's a. Um, for some of us, the point's crystal clear. We knew when we first encountered Jesus and either accepted or rejected him. For some of us being raised in the gospel, we look back to a time period or zone when we came to know the Lord Jesus. And for some who rejected him at first, he eventually won out. We bowed the knee and after much struggle decided he was the way, the truth, and the life. And since no one comes to the Father but by him, we gave him our lives. Still others, sadly, amongst our friends, colleagues, and neighbors, and extended family members have not yet come to that realization. We pray for them, often driven to tears, sometimes in agony. We say not yet because we know that there is a time appointed for man once to die and then the judgment. And every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. We say we gave him our lives, at least from our perspective, knowing that in the grand scheme of eternity, which we don't fully understand, he chose us before the foundations of the world. Brothers and sisters, without faith, we cannot please God. Um, to explain this diagram a little bit, as, as you kind of peruse it a little bit, it, first person goes to age 50, hears the gospel, becomes a Christian, lives to 100, sanctified during that time, right? Christian school kids. A lot of our children have borne testimony and said, you know, I don't know exactly when I got saved, but it was like a progressive thing. There was a time period in my life between ages of maybe five and eight or something like that that I listened and I accepted and I came to know Jesus. It was a little unclear. Long for sanctification. Can anyone uh, guess who this one is? I don't know if it's exactly 33, but it's probably close. He was, he was with Jesus right at the end. Thief on the cross, right? You know, I mean, not much time for sanctification, right? 
but there's always hope. The Christian life is not about really uh, works. It's about mercy and what he did for us. Here's another scenario. Maybe teenager goes off to college, raised by, with an atheist family, gets involved in a, in a fellowship and, and comes to Christ in spiritual rebellion. Now, to use um, theological terms here, well, what I talk about mostly today is justification. What it means to become a Christian, that red dot on each one. You know, as you progress through the year, and especially with uh, membership classes coming up, you know, we have uh, the job once you become a Christian to the day you meet him in his glory. Uh, it's all about sanctification. But we won't be talking much about that um, today. More like this. More about this. A little bit of this. That's where we're headed. And I think we need a fresh dose of John 3 to remember the whole context of John 3.16. How many know John 3.16? Okay, pretty, pretty uh, popular uh, verse. But to put it in context, um, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. And so uh, I'd I've asked Judah to put it up here in that version. You want to follow along in your version? That's your, your favorite version. But um, I've talked with Pastor, and, and sometimes he goes to this version because it's just fresh and it's a translation, it's not a paraphrase, but it is a little bit different rendition, different wording. Um, there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's room and be, womb and to be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, you're a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things? I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. And of course, Jesus was prophesying about how he would be lifted up for us. Now, that's the background for John 3.16. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. 
God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. The judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved darkness more than light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come into the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. Um, Then there's kind of a paragraph break, and we go on to the part of John 3 that talks about John the Baptist. Then Jesus, verse 22, Then Jesus and his disciples left Jerusalem and went into the Jordan countryside. Jesus spent some time with them there, baptizing people. At this time, John the Baptist was baptizing at Aon near Salim because there was plenty of water there. And people kept coming to him for baptism. This was before John was thrown into prison. A debate broke out, sound familiar, between John's disciples and certain uh, Jews over ceremonial cleansing. So John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah, is also baptizing people, and everybody's going to him instead of coming to us. John replied, no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. He has come from above and is greater than anyone else. We are of the earth, and we speak of earthly things, but he has come from heaven and is greater than anyone else. He testifies about what he has seen and heard, but how few believe what he tells them. Anyone who accepts his testimony can affirm that God is true, for he is sent by God. He speaks God's words, for God gives him the spirit without limit into his hands. And anyone, I'm sorry, uh, verse 35, the, the father loves his son and has put everything into his hands. And anyone who believes in God's son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the son will never experience eternal life but remains under God's angry judgment. And you can see the parallels between Nicodemus's conversation with Jesus and how uh, John was just spot on, right in agreement with, with the Messiah. Made a little diagram here. Man exists largely in five areas. I like to use my hand to remind myself of that. Um, Physically, mentally, socially, emotionally, and spiritually. In a way, it's been said that, uh, that we're different from animals because of our opposing thumb. We can write the word, words to one another. We can uh, do a lot of things. We can create incredible machines and all these things that the animals can't do. Um, so uh, if you don't have a thumb, you're very limited. If you're spiritually dead, you're extremely limited. And that's where we all were on the timeline before we met Jesus. 
So uh, you've seen the diagram about uh, body, soul, and spirit. The soul is defined as the mind, will, and emotions. A little bit of difference here in uh, the will and, and, and socially. You know, really, we make decisions with our will based on our relationship with others and with God. So just a slightly different way of looking at it. But all in all, we were spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins, but made alive again through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, the depth and riches of God's word. His wisdom is beyond searching out. Recently, Pastor Steve pointed out that Paul referred to Jesus as the author of our salvation and the finisher of our faith. But Paul, through the Holy Spirit, also reminds us that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling before the Lord. God calling, man doing, all to God's ultimate glory. So as we go back to that original slide, it's helpful to put your own timeline up there. You know? Where you fit in or none of the above. Spirit was made alive here, somewhere here, in you, and now we need to walk with him. So, uh, you know, we have this debate sometimes about Calvinism and Arminianism, free will. How many people have heard that debate, you know, is, is God completely sovereign and he chooses everything? Or do we have responsibility? Um, it, it's helpful to remember that justification is just as if I never sinned. You know, he saved us. And if he saved us, we really didn't have much to do with this, depending on your perspective. But uh, Calvinism, Arminianism, free will, it's really, it's, it's not either... It's not either or, it's both. The scripture teaches both of those things. And um, brothers and sisters, we have to realize that it is by faith in our God that we can move mountains. God the Father who is sovereign over all things, God the Son who actually came in the flesh and made decisions on this earth like you and me, only without error, and God the Holy Spirit who in essence wrote the Bible so that we could conform to the image of Christ to the glory of God the Father. What a mighty God we serve. Without faith, not only can we not please God, we can't do science. Um, we really don't have the slightest idea of what this light we talk about is. For instance, the concept of the duality of light has been established for about the last hundred years. Sometimes it acts as a particle, much like a baseball traveling through space. Uh, sometimes it acts like energy, much like uh, a wave of, of the ocean slamming against a dock. The truth of the matter is God made light beyond our comprehension, but allows us to use it as we obey him and having dominion over the world he created. So uh, a short video to kind of explain that concept. About three minutes. This guy 
Hi, it's Mr. Anderson, and this is AP Physics Essentials, video 126. It's on the wave-particle duality of light. There's an old story of four blind men and an elephant, and they're each touching into different points. And so this guy says it's pointy. This one says it's strong and sturdy like a tree. This one says it's flat like a wall, and this one says it's a snake. Now, they're all right. They're all just touching different parts of the elephant, and light is like that. Depending on our scale, it can be both a wave and a particle. And so light travels as photons, and those photons can act as waves and particles. Evidence that showed us their waves is their interference. They can interfere with one another, sometimes build up the waves, sometimes build them down. And they also, if we look at them as a particle, the photoelectric effect tells us that photons are quantized. They travel in these discrete units like particles. And so if you're a physics student or a physicist, how do you know which model to use? Well, it really depends on a sense of scale. And so we would use a wave model if the size of the objects that we're measuring are comparable to the wavelength of the light. And we would use the particle model if the energy that we're studying is comparable to the energy of a photon. Remember, which is described as Planck's constant times the frequency of the photon itself. Let me give you a little bit of history. The first person to tackle this issue was Isaac Newton. And he thought that it traveled in these small microscopic corpuscles or these small particles. And then finally, Thomas Young looked at that evidence, gathered more evidence and said that there are waves. And so scientists looked at this for hundreds of years. And so if we kind of look at all of the evidence and, and kind of go through those two particle and wave model, we could first start with reflection. Do they bounce off objects? And we would say yes and yes. If we look at refraction, can they bend as they move from one medium to another? We would say yes and yes. If we look at interference, can they interfere with one another? The particle model doesn't hold up. They can't interfere with one another, but the wave does. Do they diffract? Do they bend around objects or as you go through an opening? We'd say particle no. We would say wave, yes. What about, can, can they be polarized? In other words, when they're traveling in one dimension, can we use small slits to just limit the amount who go through? We'd say no, and we'd say yes for waves. So waves are looking great. And finally, the photoelectric effect came around and Einstein came around. And what it showed is that the wave model doesn't work. Only the particle model works. And so now we've got a duality, this view of, of light as both a wave and a particle. And so what's the answer? Well, both are right. And so how do we know which model to use? Again, it's a sense of scale. And so if we're looking at objects that are comparable to the wavelength of the light, then we use the wave model. But if we're looking at um, experiments where the energy is comparable to the energy of a photon, it's going to be a really small amount of energy, then we have to treat them as a particle. And so did you learn to select a model that's going to be appropriate for measuring photons? It all comes down to the size of the wavelength, the size of the energy, and I hope that was helpful.
going wide to consult the Holy Spirit and other scriptures so that we're not arguing, like we read earlier, arguing over senseless things. You know, uh, sometimes uh, scientists use the particle equation. Sometimes they use the, the wave equations. And look at all the wonderful things we have that make our life, you know, uh, easier from laser surgery and all sorts of things that deal with, with life. Um, just a challenge to take before the Lord. Um, another, there's another quote here I got from Wikipedia. I know Wikipedia has a lot of bad, gets a lot of bad rap from, I guess, more the humanities, but I think it's a pretty good source. Again, for homeschoolers, uh, if you're going to, to, there's usually not a political agenda with a structural formula or a <laughs> how to solve a math problem or something. So uh, I found some good stuff on Wikipedia. This really condensed a little bit of what he said there. Wave-particle duality, or the duality of light, is a concept in quantum mechanics that every particle or quantum entity may be described as either a particle or a wave. It expresses the inability of the classical concepts of particle and wave to fully describe the behavior of quantum scale objects. You know, just light uh, and its different frequencies. And, uh, as Albert Einstein wrote, it seems as though we must use sometimes the one theory and sometimes the other. While at times we may use either, we are faced with a new kind of difficulty. We have two contradictory pictures of reality. Separately, neither of them fully explains the phenomenon of light, but together they do. And I would, I would say the same thing with this predestination and free will. When I'm faced with thinking I'm bigger than I really am, you know, I like Calvinism. <laughs> I've done nothing. He's sovereign, you know. But sometimes when I have a responsibility to do something, and I'm tempted to say, well, God will take care of it, witnessing to my neighbor or something. Well, you know, he, he's going to be saved. No, 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 no. Then I've got to go and say that I have a responsibility before God to do, to use my free will he gave me to serve him. So uh, that's just an example. Again, without faith, we can't please God. If we're not pleasing God, we're not living the Christian faith. Christian means like Christ. When Jesus was led out into the desert by the devil, he was confronted with scripture. The devil wanted him to pit one scripture against another, but Jesus didn't fall for it. And we shouldn't either. Nor should we as Christ followers put on Calvinistic sovereignty glasses or Arminian free will glasses, they'll blind us. These are man-made constructs. Remember the Pharisees. They were given the law and were to be custodians of it. But what did they do? They added and added and added until they actually jumped all over Jesus for healing a man who couldn't use his hand. As Pastor pointed out, probably his writing hand. So much for your... For the love your neighbor as yourself, the second greatest command that they were to be custodians over, right? Rather, we are to put on the whole armor of God that we can stand against the wiles of the devil. We need the breastplate of righteousness. That is his righteousness and not self-righteousness, guarding our hearts. We need the belt of truth, accepting all biblical truth, the whole counsel of God. We need to put on the shoes of the gospel of peace, bringing grace and wisdom into conversations as opposed to divisiveness by taking one of the so-called theological sides. We need the shield of faith, remembering that sometimes the fiery darts of the evil one are the scriptures themselves taken out of context. We need the helmet of salvation to keep our hearts and minds in Christ, 
helmets forged in the fire of salvation. Remembering, back to the title, remembering the personal encounter we had and are continuing to have as we walk with Jesus as his servants. I'll repeat that. Remembering the personal encounter we had and are continuing to have as we walk with Jesus as a servant. And finally, we need the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's a double-edged sword, dare I say, a lightsaber. A skill at using both edges or both natures makes for a mighty warrior. If you're taking notes, Roman numeral two, hope. And you might want to write in parentheses, hope and flowers and fruit. I have a prop here, a little, little uh, review of, of biology. What does this have in common with a flower? Well, it's one of the flowers, right? And then if you look at this, this was hanging on a tree, and the flower was here. But as uh, it began to grow and store uh, carbohydrate and energy, food energy. If you ever look on the end of an apple, you see that little bit right there? That's the old flower. And it just all littered up and went off. So without flowers, there's no fruit. Right? And what is the fruit for a Christian when we start this walk? The fruits of the Spirit are self-control, gentleness, faithfulness, faithfulness, goodness, kindness, patience, peace, joy, and love. The greatest of all. So time for a story. But first, how many of you are familiar with C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia? Oh, wow, almost everybody. Okay, it's pretty clear who Aslan is, right? How many think you know who Aslan is? Okay, the Lion of the Tribe of Judah. Really crystal clear, right? Uh, how about J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings? How many have read that or seen the movies or are familiar with that, that story? Okay, big in our culture. Now, I'm, not, I'm not telling you to read this stuff, even, even C.S. Lewis. You've got to go with your parents. They know you better. Kids, you know, if, they, if anybody said, oh, that movie, you shouldn't watch that. Wait. <laughs> wait until you're old enough because your parents know what they're talking about. They have discernment about where your strengths and weaknesses, and they're your parents. But in our culture, when you're talking to people, sharing Christ with people, just like Jesus, looking for ways to, to break in to the fishing crowd, or the farming crowd, or the religious crowd. We use things in the culture to reach hearts. And so, Tolkien, Lord of the Rings, millions of people watching. I know, I know, Tolkien said it was an allegory. But Gandalf the Grey sacrificing himself. Remember that scene to the, I guess it was the, the evil Belrock? You know, his friends are going. He, he sacrifices himself on the bridge to, uh, and goes down into this fiery pit, okay? Everybody assumes he's dead. And then uh, he did that to save his friends. And then he comes back as Gandalf, from Gandalf the Grey, he comes back as Gandalf the White. <laughs> he resurrected and he saves him again. <laughs> Even better this time, you know? Uh, looks a lot like somebody I know, you know? So uh, that's an interesting metaphor. Now, how about George Lucas's Star Wars? Come on, be honest. 
How many have seen Star Wars or know the, the themes? <laughs> you kind of go, well, there's Eastern mysticism in that. That's kind of over the But when, when Paul was at Mars Hill, right? How did he share the gospel? He pointed to an idol. They have made an idol for an unknown God. He said, well, how can I get through to them? Well, he used a pagan image, you know, to share the gospel. Isn't that better than, than uh, letting the devil get away with looking for bad stuff all everywhere, you know? Um, anyway. Uh, the, the first one I saw back in 1977, I believe, was called Star Wars A New Hope. Some of you might not have been around then. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was really episode four, you know, it's the first one made, but it's in that trilogy of four, five, and six. And uh, Obi-Wan is distracted by Vader in order to save his friends. And then he says to, to, to Vader, he says, Darth, you know if you kill me, I'll be stronger. Remember that scene? And Vader kills him. And then he's stronger. Because he comes back, he, he dies, you know, kind of a Christ figure, you know. Um, I believe Lucas even said that the overriding theme of his Star Wars saga, I saw this in an interview, was the redemption of Anakin Skywalker. Yeah, the redemption of Anakin Skywalker. Because what about, you could be a, do you know somebody in the Bible who was really, really bad and got redeemed and used for God? Apostle Paul, right? Killing Christians. Darth Vader saving planets. <laughs> Pretty bad. Maybe he loved those people. <laughs> you know, Paul said he was the cheapest of sinners. You know, I don't know. We know about Vader. Uh, but anyway, our Anakin was a, was a real man, you know. And there's that scene at the end of the saga where, where he does turn. People keep witnessing to him. Or his sons who believe. There's hope. There's hope. A new hope. Uh, and he uh, and he takes all his energy and he basically kills the devil. He kills the demon, you know, the, the, the emperor. And then he's laying there and he's used all his energy. Remember that? He's all scarred from the evil life he's lived. His son takes off his helmet. And you know, he says, Go, save yourself. But the, the, wherever they are is exploding. He goes, Save yourself. No, I gotta save you, Father. You see him in kind of a heavenly thing, join all the people who you know to the to the right side, if you like. And so anyway, uh, if you look for it, you can see it in many many things. I'd I would place Trina Paulus's Hope for the Flower somewhere between C.S. Lewis and Tolkien. Lewis was an Anglican Catholic. I don't know if you knew that, but I, I believe that uh, this this book that I'm going to read to you, uh, little short little ch children's book. Uh, Paulus was a Roman Catholic, I think. Nevertheless, I hope that you can see an analogy between Jesus' mandate to Nicodemus that he and therefore we must be born again. All right, so at this point, we have a small crowd here. Hey, kids, do you want to come up? It's story time. Hey, kids, want to come up? You can sit down. You can sit in the front row. I anticipated this. I thought maybe there would be no drinkers, but <laughs> well, you can sit there. But I think you're going to enjoy it. You know, you might. Uh, I know you want to be taller and do different things at this time. But this is a, this, by the way, for the parents, lest you think uh, about checking out on this, I was given this by uh, a PhD in uh, English literature uh, in college. That's when I first 
saw this book, and I think it's one of the most profound books ever written. It takes about 20 minutes to read it. Uh, if we can get our technology working, we can't. Okay. We thought that maybe we could show the pages up on the, on the, uh, the screen here, but it's really a good story. You, you can kind of use your imagination uh, like we did that first time before the movie came out of uh, Narnia. <laughs> okay. So, uh, once upon a time, a tiny striped caterpillar burst from the egg which had been home for so long. Hello, world, he said. It's sure bright out here in the sun. I'm hungry, he thought, and straightway began to eat the leaf he was born on. And he ate another leaf, and another, and another, and got bigger and bigger and bigger. Until one day, he stopped eating and thought, there must be more to life than just eating and getting bigger. It's getting dull. Okay, you know what, uh, Judah? If, if you don't need to be back there, you have a copy of this, right? Could you come up front here and just kind of follow along and show? Because if I keep going like this, it's going to take forever. Okay? And then, that's an incentive, kids. If you want to see the pictures better, come on up here. And we got, uh, it's kind of hard to see in the back. Or you can move up. You know, just anybody can move up. Uh, we're on this one right here, page six. So, so Dutch crawled down from the friendly tree which had shaded him and fed him. He was seeking more. There are all sorts of new things to find, grass and dirt and holes and tiny bugs. Each fascinated him, but nothing satisfied him. When he came across some other crawlers like himself, he was especially excited. But they were so busy eating, they had no time to talk. Just as striped as him. They don't know any more about life than I do, he sighed. He looked around for their goal and saw a great column rising high in the air. When he joined them, he discovered the column was a pile of squirming, pushing caterpillars. A caterpillar pillar. <laughs> it appeared that the caterpillars were trying to reach the top, but the top was so lost in the clouds that Stripe had no idea where it was. He felt new excitement, like sap rising in the spring. Maybe I'll find what I'm looking for. Full of agitation, Stripe asked the fellow crawler, do you know what's happening? I just arrived myself, said the other. Nobody has time to explain. They're so busy trying to get wherever they're going up there. But where's at the top, continued Stripe. No one knows that either. But it must be awfully good because everybody's rushing there. Goodbye, I've got no more time. He plunged into the pile. Stripe's head was bursting with new drive. He couldn't get his thoughts together. together. Every second, another crawler passed him and disappeared into the pillar. There's only one thing to do. He pushed himself in. The first moments on the pile were a shock. Stripe was pushed and kicked and stepped on from every direction. It was climb or be climbed. No more fellow caterpillars on Stripe's pile. He climbed. They became threats and obstacles which he turned into steps and opportunities. This single-minded approach really helped and Stripe felt he was getting much higher. But some days he seemed he could only manage only to keep his place. It was especially then that an anxious shadow nagged inside. What's at the top, it whispered. Where are we going? On one exasperated day, Stripe couldn't stand it any longer and actually yelled back, I don't know, but there's no time to think about it. A little yellow caterpillar, he was crawling over, gasped. What did he say? 
I was just talking to myself, Strike mumbled. It really isn't important. I was just wondering where we're going. You know, Yellow said, I was wondering that myself, but since there's no way to find out, I decided it wasn't important. She blushed at how silly this sounded, quickly adding, no one else seems to worry about where we're going, so it must be good. But she blushed again. How far are we from the top? Stripe answered gravely, well, since we're not at the bottom and not at the top, we must be in the middle. <laughs> oh, said Yellow, and they both began climbing again. But now Stripe had a new feeling. He felt bad. He had lost his single-mindedness. How can I step on someone I just talked to? Stripe avoided yellow as much as possible. But one day, there she was, blocking the only way up. Well, I guess it's you or me, he said, and stepped squarely on her head. Something in the way yellow looked at him made him feel just awful about himself. Like no matter what is up there, it just isn't worth it. Does this sound like life at all to anyone? <laughs> all right. Stripe crawled off yellow and whispered, I'm sorry. And yellow began to cry. I could stand this life hoping in what was ahead until I met you talking to yourself that day. Since then, my heart just hasn't been into it. But I don't know what to do. I didn't know how badly I felt about this life until then. Now, when you look at me so kindly, I know for sure I don't like this life. I just want to do something like crawl with you and nibble grass. Stripe's heart leapt inside. Everything looked different. The pillar made no sense at all. I would like that too, he whispered. But this meant giving up the climb. A hard decision. Yellow dear, maybe we're, we're close to the top. Maybe if we help each other, we can get there quickly. Maybe, she said. But they both knew this wasn't what they wanted most. Let's go down, Yellow said. Okay. They stopped climbing. They clung to each other as masses of caterpillars crawled over them. The air was terrible, but they were able with each other, and I'm sorry, they were happy with each other and made a big ball so nobody could step on their eyes and stomachs. They did nothing at all for what seemed a long time. Suddenly, they didn't feel anything crawling over them. They unrolled and opened their eyes. They were at the side of the caterpillar pillar. Hi, Stripe, said Yellow. Hi, Yellow, said Stripe. And they crawled off into some fresh green grass to eat and take a nap. Just before they fell asleep, Stripe hugged Yellow. Being together like this is sure different from being crushed in that crowd. It sure is. She smiled and closed her eyes. Chapter 3. So Yellow and Stripe lost from the ground and lived happily ever after at the end. No. <laughs> uh, and ate and grew fat and loved each other. They were so glad not to be fighting everybody every moment. It was like heaven for a while. But as time passed, even hugging each other seemed a little boring. Each knew every hair of the other. Stripe couldn't help wondering, there must still be more to life. Yellow saw how restless he was and tried to make him extra happy and comfortable. Just think how much better this is than that awful mess we left, she said. But we don't know what's at the top, he answered. Maybe we were wrong to come down. Maybe now that we've rested, the two of us could make it to the top. Dear Stripe, please, she begged. We have a nice home, and we love each other, and that's enough. It's so much more than all those lonely climbers have. She was so sure Stripe let her convince him. 
but only for a while. Strike's hankering for the climbing life worsened. The pillar haunted him. He crawled there regularly, looking up and wondering, but the top remained clouded. One day at the pillar, three thuds startled Strike. Three big caterpillars had fallen from someplace and smashed. Two seemed dead, but one still wiggled. Strike whispered, what happened? Can I help? He made out just a few words. The top, they'll see butterflies alone. The caterpillar died. Stripe crawled home and told Yellow. They were both very sober and quiet. What did the mysterious message mean? Had the caterpillars fallen from the very top? Finally, Stripe announced, I've got to know. I must go and find out the secret of the top. And more gently, will you come and help me? Yellow struggled inside. She loved Stripe and wanted to be with him. She wanted to help him succeed. But she couldn't believe that the top was worth all it asked to get there. She wanted to get up, too. The crawling life wasn't enough for her, either. She also had to admit that it looked like the pile was the only way to do it. Stripe seemed so sure that Yellow felt ashamed not to agree. She also felt stupid and embarrassed since she could never put her reasons into words uh, that his kind of logic would accept. Yet somehow waiting and not being sure was better than action she couldn't believe in. She couldn't explain, she couldn't prove anything, but for all her love, she couldn't go with strength. She just knew climbing was a long way to get high. No, she said, heart sick, and Stripe left her for his climb. Chapter four. Yellow was desolate without Stripe. She crawled daily to the pile looking for him and returning home at night sad, but half relieved that she never uh, saw him. If she had, she feared she might plunge after him knowing that she shouldn't. She felt like doing something, anything, rather than this uncertain waiting. What in the world do I really want, she sighed. It seems different every few minutes, but I know there must be more. Finally, she became numb and wandered away from everything familiar. One day, a gray-haired caterpillar hanging upside down on a branch surprised her. He seemed caught in some hairy stuff. You seem in trouble, she said. Can I help you? No, my dear. I have to do this to become a butterfly. Her whole inside leapt. Butterfly, that word. She thought, tell me, sir, what is a butterfly? It's what you are meant to become. It flies with beautiful wings and joins the earth to heaven. It drinks only nectar from the flowers and carries the seeds of love from one flower to another. Without butterflies, the world would soon have few flowers. It can't be true, gasped Yellow. How can I believe there's a butterfly inside you or me when all I see is a fuzzy worm? How does one become a butterfly, she asked pensively. You must want to fly so much that you are willing to give up being a caterpillar. You mean to die? Asked Yellow, remembering the three who fell from the top. Yes and no, he answered. What looks like you will die, but what's really you will still live. Life is changed, not taken away. It's that different from those who die without ever becoming butterflies. And if you decide to become a butterfly, said Yellow hesitantly, what do I do? Watch me. I'm making a cocoon. It looks like I'm hiding. I know, but a cocoon is no escape. 
It's an in-between house where the change takes place. It's a big step since you can never return to caterpillar life. During the change, it will seem to you or anyone who might peek that nothing is happening, but the butterfly is already becoming. It just takes time. And there's something else. Once you are a butterfly, you can really love the kind of love that makes new life. It's better than all the hugging caterpillars can do. Oh, let me go and get striped, Yellow said, but she sadly knew he was too far into the pile to possibly reach. Don't be sad, said her new friend. If you change, you can fly and show him how beautiful butterflies are. Maybe he will want to become one too. Yellow was torn in anguish. What if Stripe comes back and I'm not there? What if he doesn't recognize my new self? Suppose he decides to stay a caterpillar. At least we can do something as caterpillars. We can crawl and eat. We can love in some way. And can two cocoons get together at all? How awful to get stuck in a cocoon. How could she risk the only life she knew when it seemed so unlikely she would ever be a glorious winged creature? <clears throat> what did she have to go on? She and another caterpillar who believed enough to make his own cocoon and that particular hope which she had kept, I'm sorry, and that particular hope which had kept her off the pillar and left within her when she heard about butterflies peeking. The gray-haired caterpillar continued to cover himself with silky threads. As he wove the last bit around his head, he called, you be a beautiful butterfly. We're all waiting for you. And Yellow decided to risk for a butterfly. With courage, she hung right beside the other cocoon and began to spin her own. Imagine, I didn't even know I could do this. That's some encouragement, that I'm on the right track. If I have inside me the stuff to make cocoons, maybe the stuff of butterflies is in there too. Chapter 5. Stripe made much faster progress this time. He was bigger and stronger since he had taken time out. From the beginning, he determined to get to the top. He especially avoided meeting the eyes of other crawlers. He knew how fatal such contact could be. He tried not to think of yellow. He disciplined himself, neither to feel nor to be distracted. Stripe didn't seem disciplined to others. He seemed ruthless. Even among climbers, he was special. He didn't think he was against anybody. He was just doing what he had to do to get to the top. Don't blame me if you don't succeed. It's a tough life. Just make up your mind. He would say, I'm sorry, he would have said to any caterpillar who complained. Then one day he was near his goal. Stripe had done well, but when, lightly, I'm sorry, but when light finally filtered down from the top, he was close to exhaustion. At this height, there was almost no movement. All held their positions with every skill a lifetime of climbing had taught them. Every small move counted terribly. There was no communication, only the outsides touched. They were like cocoons to one another. Then one stripe, I'm sorry, then one day stripe heard a crawler above him say, none of us can get higher without getting, getting rid of them. Soon after that, he felt tremendous pressure and shaking. Then came screams and falling bodies. Then silence. Lots more light, less weight from above. Stripe felt awful with his new knowledge. The mystery of the pillar was clearing. He now knew what had happened to the three caterpillars. He now knew what must always happen on the pillar. Frustration surged through Stripe. But as he was agreeing this was the only way up, he heard a tiny whisper from the top. There's nothing here at all. 
it was answered by another. Quiet fools. They'll hear down the pillar. We're where they want to get. That's where what fear. Stripe felt frozen. To be so high and not high at all. It only looked good from the bottom. The whisper came. Look over there. Another pillar. And there too. Everywhere. Stripe became angry as well as frustrated. My pillar, he moaned. Only one of thousands. Millions of caterpillars climbing nowhere. Something is really wrong. But what else is it? His life with yellow seemed so far away. That wasn't it either, not quite. Yellow, he let her image fill his being. You knew something, didn't you? Was it courage to wait? Maybe she was right. I wish I was with her. I could go down, he thought. I'd look ridiculous, but maybe it's better than what's happening here. But Stripe's thought was interrupted by a burst of movement all over his level. Each seemed to be making a last effort to find some entry to the top. But with every push, the top layer tightened. Finally, one caterpillar gasped. Unless we try together, nobody will reach the top. Maybe if we give one big push, they can't hold us down forever. But before they could act, there were cries and commotion of another kind. Stripe struggled to the edge to see the cause. A brilliant yellow-winged creature was circling the pillar, moving freely. A wonderful sight. How did it get so high without climbing? When Stripe poked out his head, the creature seemed to recognize him. It extended its legs and tried to grab him. Stripe caught himself just before being pulled out of the pile. The brilliant creature let go and looked sadly into his eyes. That look activated excitement Stripe hadn't felt since he first saw the pillar. Words from the past returned. Butterflies alone. Is this a butterfly? And what did it mean in the top? They'll see. It was all so strange and yet like... It was supposed to be. And those eyes with the look of yellow, could it be? Such impossible thoughts that the excitement inside wouldn't stop. He grew happy. Somehow he could escape. He could be carried away. But as this possibility became real, something else grew inside. He felt he shouldn't escape like this. Looking at the creature's eyes, he could hardly bear the love he saw there. He felt unworthy. He wanted to change, to make up for all the times he had refused to look at the other. He tried to tell her, what he felt, he stopped struggling. The others stared at him as though he were mad. Chapter 6. He turned around and began down the pillar. This time he didn't curl up. He stretched out full length and looked straight into the eyes of each caterpillar. He marveled at the variety and beauty and the maze that he had never noticed it before. He whispered to each, I've been up there. There's nothing there. Most paid no attention. They were too intent on climbing. One said, it's sour grapes. He's bitter. I bet he never made it to the top. But some were shocked and even stopped climbing to hear him better. One of these whispered in anguish, don't sing it. Even if it's true, what else can we do? Stripe's answer shocked them all, including himself. We can fly. We can become butterflies. There's nothing at the top and it doesn't matter. As he heard his own message, he realized how he had misread the instinct to get high. To get to the top, he must fly, not climb. Stripe looked at each caterpillar inebriated with joy that there could be a butterfly inside. But the reaction was worse than before. He saw fear in eyes. He didn't stop to listen or speak. This happy, glorious need was too much to take, too good to be true. And if it wasn't true, the hope that lit up the pillar dimmed. 
all seemed confused and unreal. The way down was so immensely long, the vision of the butterfly faded. Doubt flooded strife. The pile took on horrible dimensions. We struggled on barely blindly. It seemed wrong to give up believing, yet believing seemed impossible. A crawler sneered, how could you swallow such a story? Our life is earth and climbing. Look at us worms. We couldn't be butterflies inside. Make the best of it. Enjoy caterpillar living. Perhaps he's right, sighed Strike. I haven't any proof. Did I only make it up because I needed it so much? And in pain, he continued down, searching for those eyes which would let him whisper, I saw a butterfly. There can be more to life. One day, finally, he was down. Chapter 7. Tired and sad, Strike crawled off to the old place where Yellow and he had romped. She was not there, and he was too exhausted to go further. He curled up and fell asleep. When he finally awoke, he found the yellow creature fanning him with wings of light. It, is this a dream, he wondered? But the dream creature acted awfully real. She stroked him with her feelers and most of all looked at him so lovingly that he began to trust that what he had said about becoming a butterfly might be true. She walked a little distance away, then flew back. She repeated it as if he should follow, so he did. They came to a branch from which hung two torn sacks. The creature kept on inserting her head and her tail one, one, uh, into one of them. Then she would fly to him and touch him. Her feelers quivered and Strike knew she was speaking. He couldn't make out words. Then slowly, he seemed to understand. Somehow, he knew what to do. Strike climbed again. It got darker and darker, and he was afraid. He felt he had to let go of everything. Until one day, dot 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 or the beginning and so thank you to Katrina Pollock for writing that allegory about life I was tempted to, to stop at different times and, and, and share about my life you know when I was walking dark and wondering if Transformed, and we'd be born again, just like a the metamorphosis of a of a butterfly from a worm, from a caterpillar. So, um, so there you are. Hope for the flowers. Um, like Stripe the caterpillar, in order to be born again, you have to die. Like Peter, who left his nets and a life of fishing to follow Jesus, we too must leave many of our old friends and affections to follow Him. John twelve twenty four through twenty six says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am and the Father will honor anyone who serves me. The Lord Jesus. Note taking. Roman numeral three, love. So one is... 
faith, two is hope, and three is love, which is there is no, no greater love than God's love. Love's the greatest, and here's the love chapter. If, we, if I could speak all the languages of the earth, climb all the pillars in the world, and be at the very top of every one. I'm sorry, I put that in. I'll start over. If I could speak all the languages of the earth and of angels but did not have love, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient. It's kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child, but when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then... I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. What if you were a Muslim child living in Iran today? This is not hypothetical. It is happening this very day. Young Muslim men and women who hear about Jesus and the good news have a decision to make. Will they lay their lives down, pick up their crosses, and follow Jesus? Our Lord said, greater love has no man than this than to lay his life down for a friend. On one hand, their parents are quoting the scriptures from the Old Covenant. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long upon the earth, right? On the other hand, Christ bids them to come and die, quite possibly a martyr's death at a young age. Without the baptism of the Holy Spirit given by the, our Lord Jesus, how would the young man or woman discern that the best way to honor their father and mother would be, in this case, to disobey them and follow Jesus. Our Lord said, those the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never reject them. That's John 3, or 6, uh, 37. And for it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. I will raise them up on the last day. John 6, 40. I'd like for us to do a virtual or imaginary exercise in preparation for communion next week. Unlike certain recent government mandates, this ex exercise is completely voluntary. <laughs> I'd like for us all to imagine for a moment that we are back on the timeline, prior to that point or zone of salvation. Imagine that the parents or guardians who were guiding you at that time were Muslim. Again, for clarification, not some other parents. I had other parents. No, your parents. Well, your guardians, imagine they were Muslim. If they really were Muslim, imagine they're Jewish. Okay? And um, just take a, take a moment with that.
some with unsaved parents, it might not be that much of a stretch. But for those of us who had Christian parents, it would be horrible to think of them following another god, you know. And um, well, uh, when I did this exercise, I w it was difficult to imagine my father as a man without grace, and even harder to imagine my mother, who was a fashion model in a burqa. <laughs> Nevertheless, I had to ask myself, with as much as I respected them both, would I be willing to be totally rejected by them for the sake of Jesus? It's hard to tell. Um, for me, a guy who has leaned more toward the free will side of scriptures, I found comfort in the more Calvinistic John 6.37, namely, those the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never reject them. Um, I then found new meaning in work out your salvation with fear and trembling before the Lord. Remembering my ex-Muslim friend in Phoenix, Arizona, who, whose conversion to Christ caused his family members to attempt to murder him. Uh, leaving him partially paralyzed from the waist down. In Luke 14, 25 to 27, Jesus lists his prerequisites for discipleship. First, one must hate in comparison to Jesus, his father and mother. Jesus is above the fifth commandment with a better promise. Second, he is to hate in comparison to Jesus, his own life. And finally, is to carry his cross and follow Jesus. Would you or I follow Christ if we knew that there would be hostile enemies in our own homes? Carr and I had dinner with a couple of, uh, yesterday at a local restaurant near Williams Grove Speedway. I've known the husband since high school, but just recently reestablished contact. After dinner, I had an opportunity to witness to him. In our discussion, he revealed that he used to be a Christian. Oh, brothers and sisters, young and old, there have been members of this church sitting in the very chairs where you are now seated who are walking in darkness today. They too used to be Christians. Love the Lord with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and your neighbor as yourself. Um, I think we have another image, Gita. Um, this image has to do with, with the second part of love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and your neighbor as yourself. As we close, an old song about our responsibility to love our neighbor compliments of a friend in my Friday morning Bible study who shared this with, our, with the group. It's a bunch of older guys, so it, it's, it's an older song. Um, I did some research on the lyrics. I'll read the lyrics. We won't play the whole song. It's getting late. But... Uh, uh, it's called, He Ain't Heavy, He's My Brother. How many have heard that before? He Ain't Heavy, He's My Brother. Uh, back when I was young, it was popular in the 60s. And I just never, I just liked the tune a little bit. But I didn't listen to the lyrics. And I went back over them. And they're, they're pretty powerful. Uh, they were, yeah, I think it was actually written by, again, a Catholic monsignor or whatever they called him. I don't know. Uh, and he had, a, he had an orphanage. And he wrote, wrote this uh, this song, and then modern uh, artists took it up. Uh, it says, uh, it, it won't come up. Oh, <laughs> okay, do you see, you see the, uh, the link on there? U2.be, could you type that in and, and get it real quick? Eh, by the end, it might be nice to have it, but we can start on it. It's on the, uh, is it on your copy? It is, you have it? Okay. 
All right, so I'll read, read the, uh, the poem or the lyrics of this song. Uh, the road is long with many a winding turn. Uh, and, and you can visualize it. It'll come up there. But the, the thing that caught me was this is a, a photo, I think, from World War II where there's a soldier, you know, from a full armor guy. Armor has changed over the years, but uh, and there's a soldier out there. That's the image you see when you're hearing this music. It says, the road is long with many a winding turn that leads us to nowhere, who knows where. But I'm strong, strong enough to carry him. He ain't heavy, he's my brother. So on we go, his welfare is my concern. No burden is he to bear. We'll get there, for I know he would not encumber me. He ain't heavy, he's my brother. If I'm laden at all, I'm laden with sadness that everyone's heart isn't filled with the gladness of love for one another. It's a long, long road from which there is no return. While we're on the way there, why not share? And the load. And the load doesn't weigh me down at all. He ain't heavy. He's my brother. Um, we have a neighbor, kid, who, uh, kid, 30, 30 years He's a fallen, uh, uh, he's, he's in a, uh, he's paralyzed, half of his body's completely paralyzed, he can't talk, and he was just, he was just out there for Jesus, sharing the gospel all around the world and stuff, and he was struggling, and I just uh, posted prayers for him as, as we end our, our uh, time together. Father, we thank you for uh, brothers who have picked us up when we were hurting, Lord, and mostly you. And specifically right now, we pray for Derek in his hospital bed, uh, kind of leveling out. He's not progressing, it seems. And, and we know that it can be discouraging for his parents and, and him. So please, Lord, please heal him. You are Jehovah Rophe. It's in your nature to heal. And I just pray for our brother that you would uh, bring people alongside of his parents and, and, uh, and him. And may he not be discouraged, Father, as he, as he heals so slowly. Uh, thy will be done. Again, thank you for your word and this time together. I pray that it bears fruit in each one of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You're dismissed, I guess. <laughs>